Welcome to weekend services here at Christ Community Chapel. I'm so glad that you're here with us. Whether you're here in the sanctuary, you're over in East Hall, you're watching online, thanks for spending a little time with us. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here at CCC, and it's my pleasure to spend some time with you this weekend. Hey, has anyone ever said to you, maybe when they were trying to convince you to do something, that God told them you should do it? That God had laid a burden on them. That they felt like God had been moving them in this direction. That they understood why God let something happen to you. Why God was doing what he was doing in your life. Has anyone ever used that kind of language? Maybe you have said something like that. I grew up in the church. It's Valentine's Day weekend, which means I know in youth ministries and college ministries and singles ministries all over the country... Men are telling women that they believe God told them that they should go out. And women are assuring those men that God told them the opposite. What are you supposed to do when someone tells you that God told them something for you? And what are you supposed to do when you feel as though God is telling you something for yourself? That's what we're going to be talking about this weekend. But before we dive into that, let me remind you of what we're doing here in 2020, at least up until September, as we spend some time thinking about our theme, Love Matters Most. We take that from Matthew chapter 22, where Jesus, in a conversation with a lawyer, is asked, what is the most important command in the Bible? What is the most important rule in the scriptures? And Jesus answers, and he says that basically the most important rule is that you love God with everything that you have. And the second is that you love your neighbor as yourself. And, and then he follows it with this really amazing statement. He says that basically, love God and love your neighbor is what the entire Bible is about. He says, on these two things hang the law and the prophets. In fact, what he's saying is that you could show him any rule in the Bible, any command, and he would show you how that rule basically boils down to one or both of these things, love God and love your neighbor. It's a little bit like when you were in high school geometry class and the answers were in the back of the book. And you would show up with your homework and you would just have written down the answers. And of course, that wasn't enough. The teacher would tell you what? You gotta show your work. You gotta show your work. Jesus is telling us that whatever command we start with in the Bible, the answer to why it's there is love God and love your neighbor. He's inviting us to show the work, to do the work, to see how those things connect. And that's what we're doing over the next 10 weeks as we talk about the 10 commandments, the 10 most famous rules in the Bible. And we say, okay, Jesus, how do each one of these commandments really just reduce down to loving God and loving your neighbor? We're going to do that this week by looking at the third commandment, which you can find in the book of Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. So if you have a Bible, love to encourage you to take it out, open it to Exodus Chapter 20, verse 7, over in East Hall, the lighting is dim, so pull out your phone and look it up there. Or check it out on the screen behind me, Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. This is what it says. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This is the word of God. Uh, what? 
I know you're probably wondering what does that mean and how does it connect to love? And that's what we're going to be talking about this weekend. And I have four questions for you that I want to ask to help us answer uh, how this connects to love. So if you're a note taker, write these down. Uh, otherwise, just kind of remember them and use them to navigate our time together. The first question is, what is it? What is it to take the Lord's name in vain? What is it? Number two, why do we do it? Number three, why is it wrong? And then number four, how do we fix it? Okay, what is it? Why do we do it? Why is it wrong? And how do we fix it? Number one, what is it? What does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? If you grew up in church like I did, you probably assume it means to take God's name and to add it to some really bad words. And let me assure you, that's not a good thing to do. But the third commandment is thinking about something even bigger. In fact, let me give you a definition and then explain to you that definition. Here's what the third commandment is saying. Do not speak about God or for God instead of letting God speak for himself. Do not speak about God or for God instead of letting God speak for himself. Now think about where we are at this point in the Bible. You know this if you've been in church for a while because it's February, it's the time you hit Exodus in your reading plan, right before you quit when you get to Leviticus, right? So in Exodus so far, here's what we've seen. Moses is a fugitive of justice. He murders someone in Egypt and he goes running and hiding in a place called Midian. And while he's there, he's working as a shepherd and he encounters God and, and God speaks to him in a bush that is on fire, but not burning up. And God tells him through the bush that he's to go to Egypt and he's to stand eyeball to eyeball with Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, and to tell Pharaoh to let God's people go. And Moses does that. He goes to Egypt. He stands eyeball to eyeball with Pharaoh. He tells him, let God's people go. And when Pharaoh says no, God uses Moses to send plagues throughout Egypt. Nasty things, frogs, lice, the water turns to blood. It's dark all the time, some really awful things. Pharaoh eventually gives in and lets Israel go. And Israel leaves and God accompanies them by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. Pharaoh changes his mind, sends the army, chases them to the Red Sea. Israel's freaking out. They can drown in the sea or be killed by Pharaoh. But God, again, through Moses, splits the Red Sea. Israel walks across on dry land, and then as the army chases them, God drowns them when the sea collapses again. And he doesn't stop there. Even after the Red Sea, God drops bread from heaven. They get water from a rock. There's this really cool laser light show at Mount Sinai. There's a lot of really exciting things happening. God is moving God is speaking. You don't want to mess with God. God is awesome. And as Moses goes up Mount Sinai, God gives him 10 commands. The first one is, don't treat something else like God. Don't try to replace me. The second one is, don't turn me into a little thing, a little statue, something you can control. And the third one is, don't speak for me. Why? Well, you can imagine at this time, if you're an Israelite and you want something done, there is no better way to get it done than to say, God told you it needed to be done. 
I mean, you could just look at the guy you're arguing with and say, look, buddy, you can do what you want. God told me. I mean, God is not to be argued with. You remember what he did to Pharaoh? I mean, I'm not saying God will send a plague of frogs. Ribbit, was that a frog? I don't know. But I'm just saying, you might want to do it. God told me. God said, this is what God is doing. And even though there's all these big moments in Exodus of God doing amazing things, there's also downtime in between. And so people start wondering, well, what's next? What God's gonna, what's God going to do? And so it's easy to guess. Well, maybe God's doing this. Maybe God's doing that. I know what God's going to do. And God is saying, don't do that. Don't speak for me. Don't speak about me. Instead, let me speak for me. But of course, we don't need Israel to know what this looks like. We do this all the time. I know I have. We say to other people, God told me this. I just feel like God is leading me here. God put it on my heart that I should tell you this. I just think that the reason why God let that happen in your life is he's teaching you this. Maybe God wants you to do that. We speak about God and for God all the time. And not only do we do it in everyday kind of conversation, certainly in the church world, but we also are attracted to anyone else who does it. Someone says, I died and I went to heaven and I came back and I wrote a book and we buy it. Someone on late night television tells us they hear from God and if we send a check, they can tell us what he says and we send it. We, we are so curious. We want to know what God is doing. We're so sure that he's speaking to us, that our gut instinct is God, that the intuition in our mind is God. We, we like to speak about God and for God all the time. And by the way, you don't even have to be a Christian or religious to do this. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you consider yourself uh, a secular person. When you talk about religion, though, you will say things like this. To me, God is like this. When I think about God, I think about him like this. My God is a God of this. But what are you really saying when you say that? You're saying, even if there is a God, you don't need to go find him and let him speak for himself. I can tell you just what he's like. You see, when the third commandment is just don't say some bad words, it's really easy to say, well, I don't do that. But if what God is really saying is do not use my name, unless I've used it. Do not say I've said that unless I've said it. Do not say I'm doing that unless I've told you I'm doing that. Then there's not a single person in this room, including me, who's not guilty of breaking that command. And that leads me to my second question, which is to ask, why do we do it? Why are we so quick to speak for God? Why are we so quick to say things like, God told me, God is leading me, here's what God's doing. I have a feeling this is what God's saying to you. Why are we so quick to do that? I think there are two reasons, and it's important we identify them. The first reason is that it is rooted in each of our hearts to want a personal relationship with God. We, we want to know that if there is a God, he loves us and he cares about us. And so we want to believe that every decision and every circumstance and every scenario and every opportunity is a chance for him to speak to us. 
And because we want to know that God loves us, we want to believe that that gut feeling is God. We want to believe that voice in our head is God. Because we want God to speak to us, we're looking for anyone who has a word from God for us. Because if that late night preacher really does tell us about God, if that book really does tell us about God, then that means God wants us to know and we want to know. Some of us don't want to get it wrong. If there are two job offers, we don't want to choose the wrong one. Two houses to buy, we don't want to choose the wrong one. Two people to marry, we don't want to choose the wrong one. So we're just looking for anyone or anything to make a decision for us, to keep us from making the wrong one. We want to hear the voice of God. But there's a second reason, and it's a little darker. And that is that while we do want a relationship with God, we also want what we want. And so the voice of God always ends up seeming like a voice of affirmation. He wants what we want. He legitimizes what we want. I would compare this to going to the gym. You know, when you go to the gym, there are two ways to do it. And I know you're looking at me thinking maybe I'm not an expert on the subject. But trust me, I've been to the gym once. And there were two ways to do it. Two ways to do it. The first way is you go and someone else tells you what to do, right? You get there and they say, you're going to run this much, you're going to lift this much, you're going to jump this many times, and you do it. You hate them, but you do it. The second way is you go to the gym and you're in charge. And how's that go? For most of us, we go to the gym going, I'm going to run three miles today. About a quarter mile in, we say, you know what's better than three miles? Mile and a half. Eight reps turns into six reps. Seven is a perfect number, you know. And we begin to cheat it. We begin to shave it. That voice in our head begins to tell us, we're in good shape. Why are we doing this to ourselves? And that's the same way that many of us deal with God. God's voice is always agreeing, always telling us. It's so easy to manipulate that voice in our head and to legitimize it by saying it must be God. And we don't just do this for our own lives. By the way, we do this for others. We're quick to say to someone, I think this is what God's doing. I think this is what God's, God wants. I think this is what God is saying. And what we're really saying to our child or our spouse or our sibling or our friend is this is what I think you should do. This is what I want you to do. We want to know God, but we don't want to give up control. And so we speak for him lest he speak for himself. But here's the third question. Why is that so wrong? Well, first I want you to see that it is wrong. Look at the verse one more time. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. Listen to what it says. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Okay, there's the rule. But listen to this. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So the writer says... Look, don't do it, and if you do it, understand it really does bother God. He's not going to be okay with it. He's not going to let you get away with it. Why? Two reasons. Here's the first one. God wants to speak for himself. When you speak for God, when I speak for God, when we speak about God, instead of letting God speak for himself, we strip God of his personhood. Can you imagine what it would be like to have someone follow you around all day and speak for you? Now, introverts, hear me, because I think you're saying that's a dream, right? That, 
I don't mean they would say what you want them to say. I mean they would give their opinion for you so that you would go to breakfast and right as you went to order, they would say, he'll have the fruit. He needs to watch his weight. He'll wear this. He will go here after work. He will watch this television show. He will go to bed at this time. At a certain point, you would find yourself saying, stop talking for me. I know what I want. I know what I like. I know who I am. I want to speak for me. Friends, do you think that God is any different? Let me give you an illustration from my childhood. I grew up in the church. My dad is a pastor, which meant we were at church every time the doors were open and sometimes when they weren't. And at my church growing up, we did these picture directories. Do you remember these if you grew up in the church? Right, you would go and you'd get your picture taken and they would put it in a book and that's how you knew who everyone was. Of course, if you're the pastor's kid, everyone knows who you are anyways. But my mom always saw it as an opportunity to get a family portrait, right? So it was a big deal in my family because that was the picture we were gonna get for the year. We're gonna put it on the wall in the house. I remember one year when I was about 13, my mom laid out my clothes for me, which she always did on picture day. It was a sweater and a pair of khaki pants. And I put them on. Uh, because after all, picture day was mom's day. She, she was going to run that day. So I put on the sweater and then I put on the pants. But when you're 13, you grow quickly sometimes. And so the khaki pants weren't really pants anymore. They were more like leggings. <laughs> they cut off at like here, right? And, and I, I went upstairs in the pants just to show my mom. You know, like, mom, look, look at these pants. Obviously, I can't wear these, right? And my mom said, no, you're wearing those. And I said, but mom, they, they don't fit. And she said, this immortal line, which is etched in my mind, no one's going to see them anyways. <laughs> to which I asked, well, if no one's going to see them, then why does it matter if I wear them? And around and around we went until my dad did what so many of us dads do. He finally just stopped and said, son, shut up. You're wearing the pants your mom wants you to wear. So we get in the car, we're driving to church, we're going to get our picture taken, and I am thinking in my 13-year-old mind, how am I going to get back at my mother? And, and this idea comes to mind that I will ruin the pictures. Now, not aggressively, because they would catch that, but subtly, I will make it clear in all the pictures that I am not pleased and they will realize this when they purchase the pictures. It looked a little something like this. You know, it's funny, when I called my mom this week to ask for the picture, she said, you can't see the pants. <laughs> Which just means that she is unrepentant. <laughs> Look, in that picture, my displeasure is saying this to my mom. Mom! And I know this is tricky for teenagers, and if you're listening to this, Mom, I love you. But I'm saying to my mom, Mom, I know what I should wear. I can speak for me. Mom, you don't know what seventh grade is like. You don't know what they're going to say on Monday, Mom. Listen, that is the same kind of displeasure you will get from God when you try to fit him into pants you want him to wear. When you and I try to make God into what we want him to be. When we speak for God, we face his displeasure because he wants to speak for himself. But there's a second reason why it's wrong. 
And that is that when we speak for God, we rob ourselves and other people of a personal relationship with God. You see, when you speak for God and I speak for God, when we invent a God based on our gut or our mind or our background or what we want, at best, even if someone agrees with us, at best, they are not forming a relationship with God. They are forming a relationship with a God we made up. And in the end, they will turn away from that. And so will you. It's entirely possible that you're here this weekend feeling utterly disconnected from God. And I'm encouraging you to consider whether or not you are disconnected from God because he doesn't want to know you. Or because a long time ago you replaced him with your inner monologue. And while that will always mean you get what you want, it will also mean you never actually get God. Like I can tell you from my past experience of planting a church in the city, reaching a lot of millennials, that when I sat down with them for the first time to get a cup of coffee, to ask them where they were with Jesus, that often the reasons they gave me for rejecting Jesus had nothing at all to do with Jesus. Their point of contention was not something Jesus said or something Jesus did. It was something someone else did in his name. Something someone else said about Jesus. They would say, well, if I'm going to be a Christian, I have to do this. If I'm going to be a Christian, I have to wear that. If I'm going to be a Christian, I have to vote this way. If I'm going to be a Christian, i got to do this with my money. And I would look at them and I would say, where does this come from? Jesus doesn't say this. And they would tell me the story of a Christian they knew who took the Lord's name in vain. Friends, when we speak for God, we rob not only God of the ability to speak for himself, but we rob those around us of actually hearing from God and not from us. Perhaps maybe that the reason why churches today are so without young people has very little to do with God not showing up and everything to do with the way so many of us, myself included, have taken his name in vain. So then number four, how do we fix it? How do we fix it? You know, it's interesting in God saying to Israel, don't speak for me. Don't speak about me. What's fascinating about that is that they should have known the difference between God speaking and someone else speaking. After all, it's not like when Moses encounters God in a burning bush, when God is consuming the bush, but it's not burning up. And God is speaking to him that Moses walks away from that and goes, was that God or not? It's not as though when God sends plagues through Egypt, Israel's going, I don't know. Or when God splits the Red Sea, they're going, you know, it it seems like God. It might be God. I'm just not sure. Could have been the tacos I ate last night. I'm not sure. No, when God shows up, you know it. When God speaks, you know it. God is not a mumbler. You know when he's doing something. So why would they ever be confused? You know when God speaks, and you might even find yourself saying, exactly, if I had that, if I had God splitting a Red Sea, if I had a bush that was on fire but didn't burn up, if I had plagues, then I would know that God was speaking. But I don't have something like that, and that's true. You have something better. You have Jesus. Jesus, who the Bible calls the Word 
of God. Literally, the one who speaks for God, the one who makes God known. Jesus, who shows you that he is God through his miracles and tells you who God is and what God likes and what God doesn't and what God wants and what God doesn't because God has never wanted you to be confused. He's always wanted you to know. Jesus, who legitimizes his authority, not just in miracles, but in living and dying, and then three days later getting back up and saying, who else does that? Jesus is the voice of God to you. You don't have to look for God's voice. You don't have to find it in a podcast or a book or a late night preacher. You can find it in the Son of God. And when you do, what will you find God saying to you? That he loves you. That he came to rescue you from your sin. That it is true that he will not hold anyone guiltless, but in Jesus on the cross, he took your guilt and poured out his anger and raised him three days later saying to you, there's no anger left. Grab hold of him and be my son and be my daughter. Friends, a God who would do that for you is not a God who wants to leave you confused, who wants to leave you guessing, who wants to leave you chasing this person who speaks for God and that person who speaks for God. Jesus is proof that God wants us to know him. Jesus is the only one who speaks for God, but not in vain. Jesus is the word of God to you. If you're here and you do not have a relationship with God, listen, as you consider Christianity, be very careful to consider Jesus, his words, his life, his death, his resurrection. You are not considering whether or not you would join a voting block or a subculture, whether or not you would dress like us or eat like us or go the places you would go. It is about Jesus. What do you say about him? He speaks for God. He speaks for God. But brother or sister in Christ, listen, God has not left you without his testimony. He gave you Jesus and the Bible, which is the book about Jesus, so that you would know who he is, so that you would know what he's doing, so that you would know what his will is for your life. He's not hiding from you. He's just said everything he needs to say for you to know who you are and who he is and what he's doing and what your place is. A God who would not spare his own son for you is not a God who's hiding from you. Let his voice speak to you. Don't settle for books and podcasts and late night preachers. Seek his voice in Jesus. Seek his voice in the scriptures. And when someone comes to you and says, God told me this, God told me that, I think what God is doing in your life is this, God is letting this happen to you for this reason. When they say that, you find it in here or you throw it away. Because they bear God's name in vain. Jesus speaks for God and Jesus alone. The scriptures which point to Jesus and the scriptures alone, that is where you find the voice of God. And you might be wondering if that is true for you. 
If you call yourself a Christian, are you listening to God's voice or someone else's? And time would fail me to walk through the nuances of every situation. But let me say this. When's the last time that God challenged you? When's the last time God confronted you? When's the last time God pointed his finger at something in your life and wanted it to change? Friends, listen to me. If the voice in your head and in your heart is always one of affirmation, that is not God's voice. That is your voice. A relationship with anyone, let alone God, will always bring about change. When God points his finger at something in your life through the scriptures and says that needs to change, friends, that is not bad news, that's good news. That means God knows who you are. That means God loves you. That means God cares enough to speak to you. Don't turn away from that and replace that with a fake voice that tells you you're doing great. Because the same God who wants to challenge you is the God who gave his own son for you. You can trust him. The church must return to the voice of Jesus being enough for us. That's it. The voice of Jesus in the scriptures is enough. We are not looking for anyone else to tell us who God is and what God wants for our lives. Trust Jesus alone. Let me pray for us. Father God, forgive me for the times I've been quick to do this. It's so easy to do. Forgive us. Thank you that you have made a way of escape for your judgment in Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you, never having taken God's name in vain, went to the cross for me and died for that for so many years. But God, also lead us to be only satisfied with your voice. You get to speak for you. Holy Spirit, bring us for the first time or yet again into relationship with God, the real God. And God, you say whatever you want to say. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.